0: Exodus 33 we're going to be looking at verses 1 through 6 I titled this presence versus presence You'll figure we'll get there in a minute you'll figure that out in a minute but anyway Exodus 33 1 through 6 the Lord said to Moses depart and go up from here you and the people whom you have brought out of the land of Egypt to the land of which I swore to Abraham Isaac and Jacob saying to your descendants I will give it And I will send my angel before you, and I will drive out the Canaanites, and the Amorite, and the Hittite, and the Perizzite, and the Hivite, and the Jebusite. Go up to a land flowing with milk and honey, for I will not go up in your midst. Basically, God's saying, I'm not going with you, lest I consume you on the way, for you are a stiff-necked people. And when the people heard the bad news, they mourned, and no one put on his ornaments. For the Lord had said to Moses, Say to the children of Israel, you are stiff-necked people, I could, I could come up in your midst and in one moment consume you. Now therefore, take up your ornaments that I may know what to do to you. And so the children of Israel stripped themselves of their ornaments by Mount Horeb. Now that sounds pretty bad unless you know the context, all right? So kind of a little bit of background, uh, I'm getting a little ringing. Uh, make sure this one's off, all right? So, um, as we've seen in the last few weeks, Moses had been sent by God into the land of Egypt to deliver the people of God from a lifetime of slavery and ultimately bring them into the land that God had promised to Abraham 400 plus years earlier. Through a great deliverance of mighty signs and wonders, uh, parting the Red Sea, uh, God made himself visible to the people and he had destroyed the Egyptian powers that had kept them captive. Having traversed through the wilderness, having seen the miraculous provisions of God in doing so, the Israelites were now camped at the mountain of God where God had revealed himself in an even greater way uh, and also giving to the Israelites uh, his word, his law, detail, detailing how they were to live. And so that brings us to my first point, and This is where we're going to find out why uh, uh, God has uh, said this to this people but basically we're going a little bit backwards so that we can get back to where we started. So the first thing we're gonna look at, first point we're gonna look at is the word rebellion. Remember they're sitting before the, the, the mount of, uh, of God. Moses had given them the law and then we have uh, in Exodus 32, one through six, when the people saw that Moses delayed because God had called Moses up on the mountain and he'd been up there for 40 days. So when the people saw that Moses delayed coming down from the mountain, the people gathered together to Aaron, the second person in charge, and he said to him, Come, make us gods that shall go before us, for as this Moses, the man who brought us out of the land of Egypt, we don't know what has become of him. And Aaron said to them, Break off the golden earrings, which are in the ears of your wives, your sons, and your daughters. Hopefully I don't have any sons that have earrings in them. but, And bring them to me. And so all the people broke off the golden earrings, which were in their ears, and brought them to Aaron. And he received the gold from their hand, and he fashioned it with an engraving tool and made a molded calf. And they said, This is your God, O Israel, that you brought out of the land of Egypt. And so when Aaron saw it, that brought you out of the land of Egypt. And so when Aaron saw it, he built an altar before it. And Aaron made a proclamation and said, Tomorrow is a feast to the Lord. And then they rose up early on the next day, offered burnt offerings and brought peace offerings. And the people sat down to eat and drink, and they rose up to play. So while God was communing with Moses on the mountain, the people became aware of his absence. And being aware of his absence, they came before Aaron. And they didn't make a request. They were really kind of making a demand. And they were compelling Aaron to make gods for them that would lead them into the promises that God had said he was going to lead them into. In other words, they got tired of the journey. They wanted to get on with it. They wanted to get where they needed to be. However, what they were doing in order to get the best that God had for them, uh, they were going to violate God's strict commands. They were violating the very first two commands that God gave them right here. They were going to violate it. Exodus 21 through 6, very first things that God said to them. God spoke all these words saying, I'm the Lord your God who brought you up out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. You shall have no other gods before me, and you shall not make yourself a uh, carved image or a graven image or an idol that looks like a calf. We're just going to be specific, okay? And so immediately the Israelites had broken these first two commandments that he had just got through telling them through his law. And uh, what's the problem really? when the Israelites made a graven image. Well, first of all, God said not to, but what, what's really the idea behind idolatry? Well, um, God did not want him represented by an image, and the reason for that is because when people have to make the image and when people make an idol, what's really happening is people are reducing God to an image made by man. And in some way, God is then fashioned... By the hand of man. When man has a hand in fashioning God, man then has a hand in determining what God is like and what God is not like. What ends up happening is like with the scenario, the people end up creating a God that they want. They end up creating a religion that allows themselves to feign worship, but also gives them the freedom to commit, and when he's talking about they rose up to play, they were actually committing sexual uh, uh, promiscuities. They were they were allowing themselves to go without restraint. You know, when you get married, a husband and a wife, you pledge to covenant with one another, and you pledge, pledge to be faithful to one another, and so um, if you have the kind of marriage where there is no covenant with one another, then what happens is you kind of go off and do your own thing. But how many of you know that's destructive to the marriage covenant? Right? And so basically what they're wanting to do is they're wanting to have communion and a relationship with God, but not be faithful to God, but they want God to be faithful to them. And when you create a religion in your own way, and that's what people do all the time, it gives people an idea to feign religion. In other words, I look religious, but in reality, I don't have to live any way that would require me to restrain myself from anything that I want to do. Right? Atheism is a religion. People will tell you that, that it, it's really a belief system. People will tell you there is no God, but the reality is what they're saying is I don't believe there is a God. Okay? Now, what happens is when you remove God, you remove restraint. There is no morality, or morality shifts to what people want to do. And what you will find is that it's not that there can't be some type of social norms, but the reality is with most, most atheists, everything goes because there's no longer right and wrong. When you have God, there is a right and wrong. What you'll find, though, is if you make a God in your own image, you get to determine what's right and wrong. When you allow God to be God and don't fashion God, then usually what's going to happen is God's going to determine what's right and wrong. It's totally against what you want to be right and wrong. Are you hearing what I'm saying? So when the people began to create an image of God, they had a hand in fashioning what religion was going to look like. And in their mind, religion is I can bring an offering, I can do religious things, but in the end, I have no restraints, I can... Uh, rise up to play party what's the word we would use today to party to do what I want and then I'll just go to church on Sunday and leave another offering Uh, uh, you know attend there every so often but the reality is there's no restraint in my life right Genesis 32 verse 6 they rose up early on the next day offered burnt offerings brought peace offerings did all the religious stuff but the reality is uh, they sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play right so what's the result of that the second point exodus 33 2 through 3 and god says i will send my angel before you and i will drive out the canaanite the amorite the hittite the perizzite the hivite and the jebusite go up to land flowing with milk and honey for but for i will not go up in your midst lest i consume you on the way for you are a stiff-necked people so as a result of their behavior god said to the people that he would no longer go with them God would still be good to them. He would still fulfill his promise to them. He would still help them complete the journey and bring them into the land of promise that he had promised Abraham all those years ago. He would see that their inheritance is secured and the prosperity was attained, but he personally would not go with them. Why? Because if he did go with them, he might have to consume them on the journey. So it wasn't to punish them that God wasn't going to go with them. It's so that he could protect them. Because God is faithful to himself. He is righteous, and he will not be conformed to unrighteousness. Righteousness is his character, and it's what he requires from his people. In 1 Peter 1.15, But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Now, God said, because you're not living that way, because it's not what you want, I will help you, but I'm not going to go with you. But I'm going to help you to attain everything that you're wanting. I'll get you to the promised land. I'll do this for you. I'll do that for you. But I won't go with you. Now, let me ask you a question. How many of us would find that arrangement acceptable? How many of us have been living in that kind of arrangement? Like Aaron we fashion a God that the people want, that we want, that will allow us to worship what we believe is a good representation of God, one that doesn't require us to change and actually even can sanction what God calls sin. But it's okay because we're still awarded with, uh, rewarded with prominence, provision, protection, gratification, and the favor of the people. Sounds like a lot of what we call modern-day church and modern-day Christians right this is not to disparage anyone I'm not talking about anyone I'm talking about Christianity in general we'll promise you the world and uh, but we won't require anything of you and all you got to do is come, uh, be faithful with your attendance bring lots of people grow the church uh, put a lot of money in the offerings we have all the trappings of religion but no presence That's it. That's it. Hey. we have the presence, the gifts but we don't have the presence. Yes. There's a guy named by the name of Rick Jordan who wrote a, a quote I want to share with you. It says, in this day, when we have so much which will attract people, it's difficult to build something in utter dependence on God. We can provide a pretty good program without Him. And it doesn't take nearly as much faith. There are proven strategies that will bring the people in. All we have to do is follow the instructions and they will come. But the question is, will he come? And that's basically what God was telling Moses and the Israelites. I will be faithful to do what I said I would do, but my presence will not go with you. Instead, I will send an angel to carry it out. That brings us to the third point, the realization, Exodus 33, 4 through 6. How many of you know these all start with an R? Thank you, Pastor Bates. He put that in me. (laughs) Exodus 33, 4 through 6 was my pastor when I got saved. And when the people heard this bad news, They mourned, and no one put on his ornaments. For the Lord had said to Moses, Say to the children of Israel, You are a stiff-necked people. I could come into your midst in one moment and consume you. Now, therefore, take off your ornaments, that I may know what to do to you. And so the children of Israel stripped themselves of their ornaments by by Mount Horeb. So how did the people respond to this announcement? The Bible says they considered it bad news. Another way of translating this was that it was a bad word And I like this one actually a little bit better. It was a word of little worth. In other words, it's God's presence that makes things of any value at all. If God doesn't come, it's of little worth. But if God's presence is there, that's a good word. If God's presence is not there, give me all the trappings, give me everything, but what you're going to find in the end is it's very little value. There's actually very little worth. It's bad news. The promises of God without the presence of God, or as I titled the message, the presence, the gifts, the presence of God without the presence of God is truly of little worth. It's his presence that gives life true meaning and true worth so what can we distill from this the good news is not about the stuff it's not about the trappings of religion it's about a person and his name is jesus it's about god and god alone the good news is a person and our ability to have a relationship with this divine person who made a way for us to be able to reconcile and have a relationship with him when he gave his life for us out of love. Paul says in Romans 1:16 and 17, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. You know what that word gospel means? It doesn't mean bad news. It means Good news. I am not ashamed of the good news. What is the good news? Jesus Christ. Because in Christ, for the good news, is the power of God to the salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first, and also for the Greek. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, by faith, for faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. In Isaiah 7 and 14, the Bible says, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Remember, good news, the truth. What makes anything of value is a person, and his name is Jesus. It's God. And here Isaiah says, Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and we shall call his name, or his name shall be called Emmanuel, Matthew 1.23, that tells us what that name means. Behold, the virgin shall be with child and bear a son, and they shall call him, his name, Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. Yeah. Not yeah. the tabernacle with us. Not the assemblies of God with us. Not tongues with us. God with us. Are you hearing what I'm saying? In John 1, 9 through 9-14, John the Apostle says, that was the true life which gives, which gives light to every man coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, and the world did not receive him. He came to his own, and his own did not receive him. They already had good religion. What they didn't have was him. And when he showed up, they didn't recognize him. And... They didn't want him. Because he didn't look like what they had. Good news. But as many as did receive him, to them gave he power to become children of God. To those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but they were born of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. See, that's the key. Dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory. The glory is the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. So to recap, God's presence would no longer be with his people, even though he would fulfill his promise to his people and this to the people. And this, particularly to Moses, was not considered to be good news at all. So what happened? The last point we're going to look at. A reformation took place. In Exodus 33 and 7, Moses took his tent and pitched it outside the camp, far from the camp, and called it the tabernacle of meeting. And it came to pass that everyone who sought the Lord went out to the tabernacle of meeting, which was outside the camp. So what's happening here? God said, I'm not going to be with you anymore. So where did God move? Outside the camp. So what did Moses do in keeping with the idea that God was outside the camp? Well, I call it Reformation because of how Moses responded and because of him how the people were able to respond to this bad news that God was no longer going to go with them. The Bible immediately says that God's presence not being with them, Moses set up a tent of meeting outside the camp. Why? Because presumably that's where God's presence was. So you got you got to picture this, okay? So when God showed up and went through Moses and did all these miraculous things, the Israelites were coming out of Egypt. The Bible says the presence of God manifested in a cloud by day and a fire by night. So that cloud by day and a fire by night was over was in front of the Israelites was over the camp of the Israelites. It was leading them. Whenever it would move, the Israelites would move. Whenever it would stay, the Israelites would stay. And then all of a sudden, Moses goes up on the mountain. See the presence of that that cloud had moved up on the mountain, and and on the mountain it was shining, and it was it was uh, it was a, a lightning and flashes. And God spoke out of that cloud. It was it was on the mountain. And Moses and the Israelites were camped around the mountain. And Moses comes down, sees that they sin, they built, uh, you know, fashioned a calf. And God says, "I'm no longer going to going to be with them. I." Uh, uh, picture, I can't prove it, but I picture in my mind's eye that God physically took the cloud and moved it outside the camp. Oh no. But God said, that's okay. I'll still send my angel with you, but the cloud is no longer outside the camp. So what did Moses do? Moses took a tent of meaning outside the camp. Moses set the tent underneath where the cloud was right okay god if you're not here and you're over there then i'm going to do whatever i got to do to go over there because what i value this is what moses is showing us with his life what i value more than anything is i value your presence and if i have to go outside the camp if i got to separate myself from all these people that we that are that are caught up in this religious idea if i got to separate myself and go out among them pentecostals if i got to separate myself and go out among them people that talk in tongues and believe that god will heal deliver and set people free If i got to go out among, get away from where I'm at and get out among them because that's where God is and I don't care what kind of reproach that I take, I'm going there because that's where God is. If God wasn't in this place with us, I'd go somewhere else where he was. I love you. I love you with all my heart. But I love God more. And I want to be where God is. And we need to have that same attitude. If God's presence isn't here, I don't want to be there. We can put on a pretty good show without God. But God help us if we do. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Moses is basically saying that if God won't come near to us, then I need to conform myself to do what is necessary that I may somehow come near to him. Hebrews thirteen, thirteen through 14 says, Therefore let us go forth to him outside the camp, bearing his reproach, for here we have no continuing city, but we seek the one to come. So if God's presence is outside the camp, then I'm going to go outside the camp. If I have to separate myself from the people, uh, the people uh, that is surrounding me, and I have to change, and I have to be different. Listen, I'm talking, I, I know I'm referencing with the church, but when I got saved, and I accepted God in my life, and God came into my life, actually, I like it better this way, I gave my life to God, Then my life began to change, and when my life began to change, people kept trying to grab me and pull me back. You don't have to be a fanatic to serve God. You don't have to change to serve God. Just go to church. You don't have to go to church every time the doors are open. You don't have to do all this kind of stuff. It's okay to have a little bit of God in your life. Just don't let God have all of you. And that's actually what Pharaoh told the Israelites. Moses came in when he was trying to deliver his people, and and I say that because it was gonna be a process, and he said, let my people go, and Pharaoh said, no. Play. Let my people go. Who's gonna go? Everyone, all our belongings, everything we have. We're gonna go on a three-day journey into the desert. He said, no, I'm not gonna let all of y'all go. Some of you go. Let the men go, but let the children and the women stay behind. I don't remember if that's exactly, but it's something like that. And say, so why? Because if you got something behind, you're not gonna you're not gonna stay out there in the wilderness, you're gonna come back. And so the enemy always wants something. He wants to have something in your life that you don't give to God. Right? Don't go 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 all you want, but don't give it all. Leave something here. You need to leave something back here because as long as you leave that thing back here, I got a hold on you. And Moses said, That's unacceptable not going to happen and so another plague pharaoh says no another plague pharaoh says no and all of a sudden it gets so hard uh, he he comes back and they said why don't you just let him go he said okay what do you want to go we want to go out into the wilderness he said who are you going to take we're going to take us and our children i said no problem he said and we're going to take our resources because we got to offer something to god when we get out there he said no way no you and all your children can go out there but you leave your resources behind and moses said no deal Because he knew, we leave something behind, the people are going to go back, right? And so what happens? He said, no deal. Pharaoh says, get out of my sight, right? But he wasn't willing to compromise. But how many of us have sought the Lord, but we haven't given him all? We left a little something behind. The enemy's got a hold on us. He's got a grab on us. So what happens? He said, we want to go farther with God, but we can't because we got this thing that's keeping us. Right. No matter what, Moses said, whatever I got to leave behind, whatever it costs me, right, I'm going to go after God. And so that's what they were trying to do when I got saved. I imagine that's what they're trying to do when you get saved because the enemy doesn't change. The Bible says if you were to look in Matthew 13, it says God sows the word. What the enemy doesn't want is for you to get saved. He doesn't want you to accept God's word in your life, so he comes and he steals the seed that's sown into your heart. But if you can't keep the seed from sowing into your heart, then he doesn't want you to deal with any of the stones that are in your heart any of the stones that, that that seed is buried in, because what happens is God buries the seed, but then he starts pulling the stones out of the soil so the seed can grow down and it can grow up. And what does that represent? It represents affliction, when affliction comes because of the word. In other words, thank you, God, for the promises, but this is hard. You say you're going to do this, and all of a sudden, bad things happen, or I, I get offended, or, or or people try to keep me from doing what I want to do. I said, I'm not sure. This, is, this isn't what you promised. It's exactly what he promised you but it, it's hard to deal with your stuff and another uh, uh, another uh, way of looking at another metaphor he said I am the vine you are the branches right he said if you're bearing fruit I'm gonna cut off the stuff that's not bearing fruit so you'll bear more fruit I don't want that I don't want no pruning because it hurts when you prunes, right why don't you use me to prune my brother and sister Let me prune my neighbor. Problem with that is, if that happens, you got a log in your eye trying to take the splinter out of somebody else's eye. First, you got to get the log out of your eye. Let God do some pruning in your life. I'm not sure I want that. Maybe you're not willing to go outside the camp. Right? So, then the next thing, the seed, it says, and if he can't stop you that way, then what will he do? He says, the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches, he will try to divert you, and these thorns will keep you from producing fruit. Right? How many people are no longer fulfilling their calling, no longer serving God because they got promised riches at the plant? But it required them to give up, their attendance at church. He required them to give up the boats and the and and all the, the the promises that the world offers. It required them to give up their ties. And then they end up losing their families, losing their job, losing everything, right? Because at the very beginning they weren't willing to give up everything to follow after Jesus. So, "Well, that doesn't sound like Christianity to me." Wait a minute. Matthew 16 24 Jesus said he that would come after me must deny himself take up his cross and follow after me wait 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 I'm not sure about Matthew 10 if you love mother father sister brother anybody more than me you're not worthy to serve me in other words you got to be willing to give up everything and go outside the camp and bear the reproach that it might cause you to serve Jesus 100%. Complete, total, utter submission to the will of God. Not the will of man. I'm not telling you to follow me to Venezuela and open up a can and drink Kool-Aid. So many people jump to that. I'm not asking you to do that. I'm not even asking you to come to this church. I'm just asking serve you to serve God, and don't feign service, serving one hundred percent, because that's what Jesus asked of us. Are hearing what I'm saying? You don't have to serve him here. Serve him in your church. That's fine. If you want to come here, we'd love to have you. But nobody's forcing you. Nobody's making you. But we are going to tell you this is what the Bible teaches. If God's presence is outside the camp, then we need to go outside the camp. If we need to separate ourselves from the people and go into the desert to be with God, then we need to separate ourselves and do that. And that's what I had to do. I had to fight the pull. I had to fight the, the desires. That they, and the reason that they don't want you going all the way with God is because it convicts them. It shines a light on them. And they don't want any light shined on them, so they want to dim your light. Right? It's not the trappings of religion that I want, it's the presence of God. That is and needs to be our top priority. God's announcement that he would not go with him produce a change of behavior in Moses and all those who were desirous of God's presence. Everyone who wanted to commune with God had to go where God was. Everyone today, it seems to me, wants God to go with them. But Christianity, I'm not saying God's not with you, but the premise is Christianity doesn't go with you. The premise of Christianity and true Christianity is that you go with him. Paul said, I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I that live, but Christ in me. And the life I live, I live uh, you know, in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. 2 Corinthians seven ten says this, For godly sorrow produces repentance, leading to salvation not to be regretted, but the sorrow of the world produces death. Why why do I say that? Because the Israelites recognized what God had said, and so Moses and many of the people repented and made a change. It's not the God that I make. It's not the God that I design. It's not the God that I've created in my mind. It's who, who he says he is. And I'm not trying to get God to to be fashioned in my image, I need to be fashioned in his image. So you hear this all the time today. I know I say it a lot, but it's true. People say, okay, uh, the Bible says this, and people will say, well, that's not my truth. Christians, not non-Christians, Christians, that's not my truth, right? So who determines truth? God or you? If we determine what truth is, then who's really sitting on the throne? Right? No, it's okay to be, it's okay to not like the truth. (laughs) That's okay. I mean, there are some times that God says some things that I go, I don't like that. But that's not about whether I like it or not. It's true. The judge, when you go before the judge in court, he didn't ask you to like it. He asked you, do you obey it? Why do you obey the law? Because it goes better for you, whether you like it or not. I don't like driving 65, but I try to drive somewhere close to 65. Because if I don't, (laughs) I'm likely to get a ticket. I'm likely to get derailed. I'm likely to get pulled over, right? So you try to do what's right. Even though you don't like it, you don't have to like God's word, you just have to live God's word. And what you will find, though, is that the more you live God's word, you'll see the fruit of God's word, and the more you see the fruit of it, the more you realize how beautiful and and joyous and worth living is God's word in your life. No kid wants a parent to tell them, you can't have ding-dongs for breakfast and ding-dongs for lunch and ding-dongs for dinner. Why? I want it. No. It's not good for you. <laughs> well, Listen, my wife and I both worked. I, I, I worked at the church. My wife worked as a nurse. And so oftentimes it fell on me because she had to leave early. It fell on me. I had to make breakfast for the kids. So I found pretty quick that I could give them a honey bun. And they liked it and they said dad what do you want what, what do you, I said what do you want for breakfast can we have a honeymoon I said well we don't have any honey They said, can I have cocoa puffs sure cocoa puffs right sugar 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 right ate it and then one time then I went to Israel and when I went to Israel they had um, they had a different kind of breakfast over there not like we have right they had like a boiled egg and they had cucumbers and they had olives and they had fresh bread with butter and tomatoes, and that's what they served for breakfast. And so I ate that. I said, Well, I'm gonna come home. And, and, and when I got home, I made that for my kids for breakfast. And they, <laughs> you know, they were young, so they couldn't make food for themselves. And so they, when I said it before them, they kind of went, Huh? They were hungry, so they ate it, right? And you can talk to Rachel now, she'll tell you the same thing. She says, uh, he said, but Dad, I got to admit, that's the best I ever felt when I went to school. That's the best I ever felt when I went to school, right? So so you may not like it, but what you may find is if you conform yourself to what God's word says, you may find that eventually you're going to feel better than you've ever felt in your life. So as a result of Moses' intercession, God's presence was assured once again. In Exodus 33:12 through 18, Moses said to the Lord, See, you say to me, bring up these people, but you've not let me know who you're going to send with me. Yet you've said, "I know you by name, and you found grace in my sight." Now, therefore, I pray, if I found grace in your sight, show me now your way that I may know you, that I might find grace in your sight, and consider that this nation is your people. Moses is interceding. He's basically saying that arrangement is not good enough. He said, "Why would he talk to God like that?" Because God likes when His people talk to Him like that. Because Moses understood, without God's presence, we are nothing. And then God said to Moses, and all because of Moses interceding, he said, my presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. And he said, Moses said, if your presence doesn't go with us, it's kind of like, not that this has ever happened to me, but you ever had an argument, and you're so caught up in the heat of the argument when the other person finally uh, concedes their point, you don't even hear it. You just go on with the argument. That's kind of what's happening. None none, none of that ever happened. Some of you are going, I I understand where you're going, but I'm not moving my head. I'm not. I'm not acknowledging anything you just said. That's like Moses didn't hear God and just going on. Because if you don't go with us, right, don't bring us up from here. For how then will it be known that your people and I have found grace in your sight except you go with us? So we shall be separate, your people and I, from the people who are on the face of the earth. And So the Lord said to Moses, and I kind of feel like, again, Moses, I will also do this thing that you have spoken, for you have found grace in my sight, and I know you by name. 2 Timothy 4, 3-4, as we finish. For the time will come when they, the people, Christians, will not endure sound doctrine, but according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers, and they will turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside to fables. In this day and time, if we give the people what they want, they will give us what we want. What are you saying? They'll give us a big church, a lot of money. Give us fame, prominence. But Moses and the people of Israel show us that the only thing of worth is the presence of God. If God is not present, I don't want the presence. There's a place, a lot of, I'm sure, very well-known, a lot of very uh, uh, ornate, beautiful churches at the turn of the century. But the whole world was going to a barn in Los Angeles on Azusa Street, a barn that had been converted into a makeshift church, because at this barn, people would often testify that there was flames coming up from the roof, and they would call the fire department and say, what in the world is going on? At this barn, when people would get off the train at the station uh, just a couple of blocks away from the barn, they they would fall out under the presence of God and they began to speak in other tongues while they were close. At this barn, see, something significant was happening. When people went into this barn lame, they came out walking. When they went into this barn deaf, they came out hearing. When they went into this barn without sight, they came out seeing. And when they went into this barn, what was happening is they weren't being connected to a religion, they were being connected to a person the presence of God was being made manifest in a barn on Azusa Street, 1906 to 1909. You say, well, wait a minute, wait a minute. Did God do that before? Yes. The presence of God was made manifest and visible in a manger outside the establishment, where the, where the, uh, uh, the, the uh, burrows and the cows and, and the lambs were all penned. There was a baby born. And if you wanted to see and experience this baby, you had to leave where you were at in response to the voice of God and the presence of God, and you had to travel to go to see the King of kings and the Lord of hosts when He had come near. They didn't go to Jerusalem. They didn't go to the temple. They went where the presence of God was. And then the Bible says there was a man by the name of John the Baptist, and the Bible describes him as the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Now I want you to get this. John the Baptist was the voice, but the one crying in the wilderness was the Spirit of God. And because they heard and sensed the presence of God in the wilderness, the people left Jerusalem, they left the temple, and they went outside the city into the desert to meet a man in whom and through whom the Spirit of God was being made manifest. What do we want? What do you want? I want Him. I want Him. Religion didn't change my life, the church didn't change my life. Jesus changed my life. But I'm so thankful for a church in whom Jesus was and lived, and for a church that made Jesus manifest to me. But I'm committed to a person. I'm committed to the church because God's committed to the church. But what makes the church the church is not that we meet together on Sunday morning. It's not that we have uh, hamburgers for lunch. It's not that we talk to... What makes the church the church is that the Spirit of God indwells you. Arise and shine, for the light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. God, someone once said, the apostle said, silver and gold have I none, but such as I have, give I unto thee, and someone said later on when they had this in front of this giant cathedral, they said, "Well, we can no longer say that silver and gold have I none, and the other person said, but we can no longer say in the name of Jesus, stand up and walk, We're missing something. If we don't have Him. Where are you today? Have you been satisfied with the outward trappings? Or is your passion for Jesus? Have you been living in compromise inside the camp, but the presence of God is outside the camp? Do you hear the call this morning? The call of God to leave where you're at, whatever condition you're in, wherever you find yourself, and go to Him because it's His presence.